We have a great episode of Schneps Connects for you today. We are hitting on two hot topics, particularly for New York City, which are security and the real estate industry. Today, I have with me Jeff Friedman, who's CEO of Building Intelligence, Inc., and he's going to talk about cloud-based software to help manage the safety and security of visitors, vehicles, and vendors in several high-profile New York City buildings and facilities. It's a timely conversation with New York City's numbers dropping and people getting back into the office with vaccine mandates in place and starting to come off, mask mandates are obviously changing as well, but more or less a lot of employers are pushing people to get back to the office. Jeff has served as an expert in security deployments in many high-profile buildings throughout New York City, including Hudson Yards, One Bryant Park, Time Warner Center, the World Trade Center campus, Yankee Stadium, along with others around the country. So, Jeff, it's great to have you here. Thanks for joining us. Yes, no, thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. So, obviously, we're at a point right now where the risk of COVID is is much lower than it was. The city, and, and certainly our mayor, Eric Adams, is hoping that easing of restrictions will help encourage people to get back to the office. So I'd love for you to share with our listeners just a brief background on what building intelligence does and and what buildings are employing your technology. Well, uh, a long time ago, unfortunately, we had 9-11 here in the city and people and companies and organizations were concerned about access management, meaning how do I allow the right people into the building at the right time? And that include ultimately visitors, you know, that you have people coming to visit you. Anybody could pretend to be somebody. And we would have some sort of screening process by at least the fact that they were invited, just like you were, you'd be invited to a wedding. They want to make sure the wedding is exactly who should be at the wedding, right? Mm-hmm. The same thing in an office building. You know, you have a certain amount of people, who you know, are going to be there because they've got access cards or whatever it might be. And then you have all these people visiting. You don't want people to pretending as a terminated employee or something like that or a stalker to allow them in the building because they say they are who they say they are, they're not. So we had a way of managing identity, a way of managing, you know, uh, watch lists and things like that. And then we use that same process, not just in the front of the house, which is pretty much after you've seen the, the TV show 24, you realize that, that you could be a UPS driver and not I be- I love that show. Yeah, there's not a great show. And so that also in New York City, particularly, uh, we're, we're concerned about vehicles and vendors. And it's not only about terrorism, it's about you know theft and people doing jobs when they're not certified to do work, people, vendors coming that aren't, don't have insurance. The normal risk mitigation strategy is that you develop a program where the vehicles, the vendors, and the visitors are all you know, trusted. And so that, that's really where building intelligence started in 9-11. We progressed over many years, sort of in secret, I guess is the way to put it. And ultimately, we partnered with a lot of buildings to develop programs to make the building safer. COVID-19 created a new risk to mitigate, right? Mm-hmm. And that sort of drove even more adoption, not just in New York, but all over the country, where um, you know buildings thought, okay, I'm trying to mitigate all these other risks. Now, what am I going to do about COVID? Um, but it's also about with respect to in and also respecting people's privacy, because that's a big concern as well, that we track people's vaccination status. We track their occupancy in terms of whether they came to the building or not. And in the, in the future of the hybrid office, I don't know if anybody's not a visitor anymore. You know, I feel like what turned into we just handle the visitors it turned into we basically manage everybody's access 
through a variety of different means, including sending email to somebody like, hey, are you coming today? Sure. If you're coming today, make sure you fill out this form to say you don't have COVID. We didn't always check vaccination. So there's a lot of different methods to mitigating those risks. And as you can see, it's not just a New York thing at all. And just to add to that, like if you're a CEO of a company, what's your duty of care to your employees? You want to protect them from these visitors that are coming. You might as well just ask those visitors, hey, have you had COVID in the last two days or, well, you know, whatever questions you might want to ask, right? Yeah, I mean, like our building put up, obviously, hand sanitizing stations all over. You were mentioning some of the buildings that you represent are really, you know, newly developed or, or big developers. What, what's your take on smaller or older buildings to be encouraged to create environments where people feel safe? What, what are some of the things that are either incentives or, or actual things that your company's doing to, to help them? I think there's really two elements of it doesn't matter what kind of building you have. It's that as a landlord or a uh, executive in a company, are you responsible for the safety of the people in the building? And if you realize that it's a two-way street, it's that it's you are providing services and technology, whatever it might be, for the building. You're also providing it for those people who may or may not want to be employed in that building anymore. So you're trying to get people back to the office, but if you're not providing them a safe place to go to work. Uh, it doesn't matter whether you're the nicest building on Park Avenue or, you know, or a building in the middle of Queens, not that Queens isn't nice. I'm just like, it doesn't really matter to the person who's like coming back to work to know that the people who run the building and the people who occupy the building care about their health or care about their security. So if you're not sending that message, then you're not at the same level as some of these other buildings who really see it. I mean, the real what I would call impressive landlords, see the big picture that they are providing space for life, you know, and that they want to protect life. And that's what safety and security is about. So what type of technology, both, I guess, inside the buildings, but also outside, because I think the environment on the street or, you know, I always say that that's the, the linchpin of a, of a community is making sure your streets are clean and safe. What types of technologies are are buildings implementing both inside and outside? The way electronic security works, I'm not going to talk about uh, guarding like people, you know, having having great people is your number one best thing. Somebody who greets Mm -hmm. you in the morning sees that they know you. That's really better than anything else. The next best thing is having meaningful measures when people show up in an office that they're sort of screened in some meaningful way, whether it's a turnstile, that's pretty high level or just a visitor management kiosk, relatively low level, but it's something. You add, you add a camera and all of a sudden now it's a secure space. I still think you know, ultimately it's up to the building operator and that facility operator might actually be uh, like a full net lease of a, of a corporation to create an environment that includes you know, guarding or at least a receptionist and then all self-entry kiosks that you can't get through a certain area unless you do something. Just creating different barriers. Even, even when you go to like a school, you know, there's usually two doors and the, some sort of vestibule and you can't get through the next door without going to the intercom. So these things are all measures. And what's appropriate for one building is really uh, about, you know, the tenants. What do they want, right? And I also think it's also what are you targeting for your leasing, right? I mean, you have to understand that people who want a secure facility and you don't provide one, they're not going to lease in your building. 
So if you want to make an attractive real estate community or a higher rents, that comes with adding these services. So I went to an office yesterday and, you know, you have to check in, you get a badge with a barcode and then you put the barcode, you know, touchless and then two kind of glass panels open up. Is that the kind of technology that you implement? Yeah, well, there's a lot of parts you just mentioned. The part that we do is identifying that you're a visitor and then providing you a barcode. That product then integrates into a turnstile that then opens. And in some instances, we do it with an elevator where the elevator door won't open without the QR code. But we don't, we don't build elevators and we don't build turnstiles. We work a, a lot with those manufacturers to create that workflow. You know, when you look at it like it's an integrated workflow, there's some really amazing things that actually occur in the background to make that really cool, where you get an email, the email's got a barcode, the barcode enables you to, you know, certify it's you or whatever it might be, and then walk through a turnstile. And it's really smooth, very effortless. And we call it straight to turnstile. It's like a, it's a program, but it actually is a pretty safe way to do it. And some of the big buildings have created a method. When you get that QR code, it's because they've looked at you on a list. They understand who you are, who invited you, and then they're sending you the QR code. It's not just some automated out of the blue QR code. So I assume a lot of times you'll go, you'll meet with developers or building owners, talk to them about what their goals are, and then implement kind of the, the flow of how it can work for them to improve their security? Yeah. I mean, we'll develop a technology roadmap, like just because budgets are important, right? So you say, oh, you've got this amount of budget to do at least take this first step. Maybe we'll do a second step and a third step because it's it, it can be expensive and it could be not that expensive. It's just a matter of also, fitting the tenancy and the position in the building is an important aspect of what you do with the security. Josh, a lot of times, the buyer is buying the product from us because a tenant says they want it. Mm. They're not moving in without it. And right. that they negotiated in the lease that, okay, I'll move in, but you really have to step it up. Right. Which is unfortunate because then you're on the back foot, right? They must be looking at other spaces that are already outfitted. And they don't need the hassles of dealing with this whole lease negotiation. So it depends. A lot of buildings, you know, it's a secondary point of renting. So that makes sense. But uh, in this day and age, when the competition for rent is at its highest, sure. you know, who wants to be on the back foot? You know, one of the things that never ceases to, to blow my mind is how many Amazon deliveries come to my apartment building every day. It's really breathtaking. And the other thing is just the amount of congestion it creates in streets. What is your thought process if you're involved in getting traffic under control, whether it's through the streets or through the buildings? So it's a very interesting problem to solve because it's actually gotten worse um, during COVID because people didn't leave their homes and there's more deliveries than ever. You're exactly right, Josh. We do delivery management tied into security and safety, right? Mm -hmm. That's something that we've been doing for more than a decade in New York City. Most of it's been at the, at the, at what I would call the most traffic buildings in New York City. I mean, you mentioned a few of them. And so we've been talking a little bit to New York City Department of Transportation and some of the bids about how to tackle um, consolidated deliveries and how we have this sort of huge manifest of vendors to sort of manipulate better behavior in a good way, not, you know, not some bad way. Like yeah. just the idea of like making consolidated deliveries. A lot of times these trucks that come, come through the city, 
are 20% full. You don't know that because, you know, it's closed, but they only have a few packages in them. The Amazon UPS problem is a problem onto itself. Mm. You got to separate that out from and tackling kind of two different problems. And, And because the Amazon issue is the fact that they use the UPS truck as like a delivery station and they drop the boxes everywhere mm-hmm. and there's not enough loading zones. That's one problem. And the other problem is all the trucks that show up for a million different other reasons that are using technology to influence their routing and consolidating deliveries. So you could probably reduce New York City traffic from commercial deliveries by 20 to 30% by just taking on using intelligence related products to create better routing. The Amazon problem, it's a different tackling problem, which is how do we get to micro deliveries? How do we get to less just in time, like pull it back a little bit? That might be a better way to do it. But I would say that that's more complicated. That makes sense. Yeah, the Amazon moving, problem. it's almost moving faster than anybody can uh, plan for. That's for sure. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's interesting. We've learned a lot doing event. Um, we do a lot of event delivery stuff. And they, they have some really amazing techniques of consolidation that have been used for many, many years. And it's just they don't use those techniques in normalized commercial deliveries. So we're trying to take something that's been used for many decades, actually. It's not that new. And that's what's so amazing. If you use something that's old for a new reason, maybe that's new. Mm. You know? But um, the idea of consolidating deliveries has been around for years. Distribution centers exist. LTL, which is like long-haul deliveries going to a distribution center exists. So it's all possible. So this is your industry. You're talking to a lot of commercial buildings that deal with tens of thousands of tenants each. What do you think is going to incentivize people to get back into the office? What are you hearing? You know, look, security is an amenity. It's an important amenity. Safety, security is an Mm -hmm. amenity. There's sort of also that sort of broken window syndrome, right? Where well, New York knows that if you fix the broken windows, you know, it's a better neighborhood, right? And we have a lot of broken windows due to COVID-19, where stores have shut down and things like that. So part of it is, is creating a vibrant community, not suffering from traffic, right? Not suffering from, you know, people who shouldn't be there. I think from a building point of view, promising and then actually providing amenities that bring people back, inclusive of a vibrant community, is a big part of bringing people back to New York. So I was telling you, Josh, I was at a trade show. More people were there than I've ever seen before. Right. Having the best time of their lives. And it was really amazing. And I feel like the whole community, and I've talked about the pendulum swinging back, it's going to swing back fast to those places where everybody's ready to go. And so it's up to the, I want to say this the right way because I don't want it to come out wrong. The A buildings in New York City already know. I could tell we work for a lot of them. They're doing all the things right to bring people back. The B buildings, you know, it's challenging because, you know, you don't know if they're going to come back. You don't know if they're going to renew their lease. You don't know what they're going to do. But I will promise you this. They will definitely not renew their lease and or you won't attract new lease lessers if you don't get closer to what the A buildings are doing. And if you look closely, what the A buildings are doing is they're doing a lot of nice little events plus upgrading safety and security and upgrading the amenity that it is to be in an office building. Even if you go to three days a week, it's still a great place to go for three days of your week, and you're still going to pay the rent, the full rent, if you feel that's a value to your company. 
And it's a value to your company for people to work together. I think that's true. And they, maybe they don't have to work five days a week together. But if they have a home, they feel as safe as their home, they'll come back for three days, four days. Eventually, three days will be four days, right? I don't know if four days will get to five days. Right. I don't even know if there ever was five days. Only time. I, no. Summer, I don't think there was ever five days in New York. But I know I, I'm in the office five days a week. But, you know, I might be the weird one. You know, so. Well, I think the next year will tell us a lot. That's for sure. Yeah, for sure. Well, Jeff, thanks so much for being with us and, and sharing your story. Appreciate it. Thanks, Josh. My pleasure. Make sure to subscribe to Schneps Connects wherever you get your podcasts or stream us online at podcast.schnepsmedia.com. 